2: This is a CBC Podcast. Do either of you have any kind of, like, memorable or notable or, I guess, recordable breakup (laughs) stories?
3: Greg and Catalina, the couple in our rom-com, have just broken up. And right now, Mark, Ryan, and I are talking about our bad breakups. My worst breakup of my life was... With my most significant boyfriend at the time, who I had lived with, and we were very uh, on again, off again. So we had broken up a lot of times. F- full disclosure, we had broken up before. Mm-hmm. But then we had this sort of final breakup, and um, we were we would, we would were sort of, he was also a comic, so we were a little bit in contact, we would chat every once in a while. And then one day, he called me, and I was like, oh, hey, hey what's up? And he was like, ha-ha, I'm going to get married. And I was like, ha-ha, you crazy guy. No, you're not. And he was like... <laughs> No, I, I am getting married. <laughs> this was about three months after we broke up. And he really did it. He actually got married. And it sucked for me. I was bombarded with photos of the wedding. I couldn't escape it. And something that is also really embarrassing about me is that I'm like a huge like wedding planner person if I'm in a relationship. Like, I will just plan. Like, looking back, I just like the prompt, you know? I just like to get a Pinterest board together. But this wedding was literally exactly what I had planned like perfect to the dress.
0: And you had this was the the, the wedding you had planned with this guy.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: The, and he did that wedding with someone. <laughs> he yeah, did that wedding. he did the
3: exact it was like he just sort of removed me from the photos and put her in.
0: Was he privy to your Pinterest board?
3: He was on he was on the board, yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, God. That's like a, a updated a sense and sensibility line of dialogue. Was he privy to your Pinterest page? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: he logged in that morning. I saw his avatar.
3: <laughs> and for a long time after he got married, there was kind of this dark cloud hanging over me, and I couldn't find a silver lining. But I was able to channel my energy into stand-up comedy. <laughs> so then this goes on. Oh. I'm all sad. And then I go host a show. I went through, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to have gone through breakups without social media, which I didn't know was a luxury. And I'm, I'm riffing. Sort of unplanned material. Mm. And I get kind of feisty about this happening and how sure. egregious it is to have to see the photos of your ex's wedding. <laughs> and now it's like you go on on Instagram they're, firstly they're they're there I didn't search for you you've appeared you know what magic mirror mirror on the wall show me a picture of my ex-boyfriend with his new girlfriend wearing a sweater that I bought him <laughs> that he said wasn't him
2: <laughs>
3: my ex-boyfriend just got married <laughs> He knows him. And then the show I was on, a comedy night in Vancouver called Comedy Here Often, posted the video on their TikTok account and um, it blew up pretty good. It was the first time anything I had ever done had ever gone viral. Sick. I think it did. It's done 2.3 million on TikTok and then it did another like million and a half on Instagram. The account that posted it, to here often, had 500 followers. And then when that came out, it had 50,000 the next day.
2: Whoa, (laughs) that's viral.
3: Uh... But when your clip goes viral, it's not like the movies. It doesn't skyrocket you to fame. You just get a bunch of unsolicited feedback. Literally... Thousands of people commenting, messaging, just stop looking at the photos, if it's so hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, as if it was that easy. Why wasn't our rom-com based on this story? (laughs) It it seems like a pretty solid It would have saved us a lot of legwork. (laughs) Hmm,
3: that may be true, but that ship has sailed. And besides, rom-coms aren't about couples breaking up and staying broken up. They have to get back together. And that ain't happening in my story. Our movie, on the other hand, has a couple that had a fight and broke up. And now we need something to bring them back together a grand gesture, a big speech, an expression of love that's going to show our audience that this couple is for real and their love can withstand any test. We've torn our couple apart. Let's put them back together. It's Let's Make a Rom com.
0: Okay, so first thing we need, a greeting. What's
3: (laughs) Right now, we're trying to come up with a big flowery emotional speech for our romantic comedy.
0: Uh, Maddie, could I get an ordinal number? That's like second, third, first, um, last. First. First?
3: Well, actually, Mark has already come up with most of the speech. He just needs Ryan and me to fill in a couple words. It's a Mad Lib.
0: Ryan, verb ending in ED. A verb is a... Um, action word. Action word? hmm E-D-A.
2: hmm Dodged. Dodged. Dodged.
3: I don't know what's more troubling, that this is how we're trying to write our movie, or that my writing partner doesn't know what a verb is.
0: Uh, Maddie, an emotion.
3: Sad. Okay. I won't subject you to every choice we made. Here's what we came up with. Picture this. Greg and Catalina got in a big fight. They've broken up. They're feeling miserable about themselves. And then they're thrust back together. The lights go down, and Catalina looks Greg in the eye and makes this speech
0: What's up, Greg? <laughs> I know I'm probably the first person you want to hear. After the way I behaved the last time we dodged, I'd be sad too. But please give me a cylinder. Here we are, sleeping right next to the bench where we first met. (laughs) I remember it like it was Christmas. It was a freezing, balmy day. You were dieting by the signpost, and I was daydreaming this blob. We dieted into each other. (laughs) You said, oh my god. I chafed 99 times and then replied, fuck. And immediately we began swimming. What are the odds we'd do that? Two complete penguins. I'll tell you. They are two to one. So what do you say, Googans? Can I still call you that? You'll always be my Googans. Shall we try again? How about we boil to the London and buy ourselves a candied salmon and just be with each other like old times? The end.
3: Okay, so that's not really the speech we're going to use. Mark, you're so good at that.
0: You're
2: really good. I told you Mark was good at Mad Libs. It's one of his powers.
3: It was just an exercise to get us in the headspace to write the big romantic set piece of our movie. So that's what we're working on today. The event that's going to carry us to the end of the script. So here's where we stand now. Greg and Catalina are broken up. But Catalina is going to realize that she has to overcome her issues because she's happier with Greg than without him. So she needs to do something to win him back. Something big. A grand romantic gesture. This is one of the most famous tropes of the genre. It's usually something like a race to the airport, like in Love Actually. You
2: can't come through without a boarding pass. Not even
1: to let the boy say goodbye to the love of his life.
3: Or a speech, like the press conference in Notting Hill.
1: I just wondered whether, if Mr. Thacker realized he'd been uh, a daft break (laughs) and got down on his knees and begged you to reconsider whether you would in fact then reconsider.
3: This is the part of the movie where we can go beyond trying to make the audience laugh and actually try to make them cry, at least according to screenwriter Kiwi Smith.
2: Don't be afraid to write, uh, be earnest and really find something that's making you kind of tear up a little bit towards the end of the movie. You know, rom-coms need to be funny, but they also usually make us cry at least once.
3: What will be our grand romantic gesture, the emotional event that's going to bring our couple back together? Essentially, what is the climax of our movie? Maybe we can draw inspiration from our own lives.
0: I had a friend who buried a diamond ring in a burrito. <laughs>
2: really? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. It's so yeah. messy. Yeah. And uh, she like ate the burrito and he had to like keep an eye on making like and then I'm she to felt... find a news story about someone who like choked on a ring. There must be some. Yeah, oh, sit,
3: absolutely. You know, like... Okay. Maybe we need a little more direction in this area.
2: Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jessie.
1: My name's Ole Parker. I wrote uh, the best exotic Marigold Hotel movies and a couple of others, and I directed the Mamma Mia sequel and I just directed a new film called Ticket to Paradise.
3: Ole is going to help us with our grand romantic gesture because he knows a thing or two about those. In Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, he wrote a scene featuring Stalin Skarsgård and Colin Firth embracing aboard a 14-boat flotilla sent to Dancing Queen.
0: It's going to be a beautiful night. Mm I wish I had someone to share it with. Oh, come
3: on. We have each other. Oh, I think we've got more than that. Take a look. But when he wrote that scene, he didn't know he was going to have to direct it.
1: No, it was. I knew it was fantastic. Uh, no, <laughs> when I wrote it it was... I wasn't meant to direct it and so I merrily wrote, you know, they look out and it's like Dunkirk, I think I wrote in the script and there's a <laughs> flotilla of boats with everybody dancing. And then when I got off at the gig, I was like, I couldn't do that. I don't <laughs> I took me and actually in the fourteenth boat is me. At the I'm at the back I'm in the back boat is my director's boat. And I've got like seven monitors in the base of the boat oh and God. I'm just shouting like shouting into this radio like helicopter go left and something go right and I'm pretty sure they turned off my thing and I was just shouting to myself. Um, <laughs> they were just humoring me by letting me think that I was in any kind of control whatsoever.
3: One thing we like about Oll is that his writing comes from a passionate and instinctual place. Sometimes screenwriting can feel so rigid, but All just follows his gut.
1: I should say that I don't have a clue what happens uh, literally the page after the one that I'm writing ever. I never do really? what you're doing. So it's really impressive that you know as much as you do. You don't outline? I never outline. No. Wow. I don't know. I just, I just, it bores the crap out of me. And then when I come to when I pitch it, it just feels mechanical. And then, I'm not saying this is right at all. I'm not. You know, I'm not. I did a panel a while ago, and there was a really brilliant, you know, expert writer on it with me, and he was saying, "Everyone, you've got to outline. You have to outline. Anyone that doesn't outline is just an amateur. That hangs on Starbucks and tells their friends that mm. they're a writer." And I was like, Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> There's a bit in the second Marigold movie where um Judy Dench I think yes, Bill Nye goes into Judy Dench's room on page sixty or something and comes down and goes, She's not here, she's gone. And because we were shooting it quite soon, I was sending it to the cast and to the director and producer as I as I wrote. And um and they rang up and they were sent them up to sixty pages and I'm like, That's amazing, where's she gone? I was like, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> really don't know. And so um, I just have this idea that if it's sort of surprising to me, then hopefully it'll be vaguely surprising to somebody else as well. You know what I mean, so I don't... Um, it's headlights in the dark. I mean, I literally, I can sort of see the next, you know, 20 yards, but I kind of have done it often enough to know that I'll sort of get somewhere in the end and it'll be roughly 10 pages.
3: So we pitched him our movie. And the movie's called His Ex-Girlfriend, the Selma Hayek. And we talked about it. We want her to be like a cool woman that would really intimidate you. And he really connected with it.
1: Yeah, that would intimidate the fuck out of anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's great. And also, she's a really good choice because <laughs> she might do it. She's really fun. She's really feisty.
3: We've heard a lot of positive feedback during this process. And we've talked to people who've gone through the same thing as Catalina, dating someone whose ex is so famous or good looking that it's intimidating. But Ole's experience may take the cake.
1: I was engaged to my wife, but when I found out that she'd gone out with Brad Pitt, <laughs> and so that was a That's... strange moment.
3: That wife he's talking about is Tandiwe Newton. She's an actress, you know, from Westworld, Crash and Mission Impossible 2.
1: Because it's sort of, you know, we got it together, obviously. And when you get together, you kind of do the list. You know, it's not like a list, but you kind of, the ones that are important, you sort of, <laughs> the names come up, do you know what I mean? After a while. and um, But he hadn't, and we were... I was in the apartment uh, reading a magazine and there was just a list of his ex-girlfriend's <laughs> with pictures. And there was Tan, my wife, and, um, and him holding hands at the premiere. And I was like, oh, you didn't mention that one. And she was like, well, I thought you might be intimidated. I was like, Well, I I not
3: But what we really want all's help with is our grand romantic gesture. Knowing our pitch, what would he write?
1: I don't know. I mean, Selma's got to be part of it. You've either got to have great, you know, forswear Selma completely in some quite serious way, but that seems mean and cruel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She's just got to be part of it. I think she's got to be. She's got to come to understand the problem and back out as it were, with Greg's, mm-hmm. with her, you know, Greg, help her back out, do you know what I mean? She's got to understand, Selma's got to mm-hmm. make a twice. at her, do something that makes her less oppressive, do you know what I mean? That makes her less, Yeah. that makes her sound like a person, rather than Selma like the icon, do you know what I mean? Because, you know, um, yeah. although, you know, I've met Brad Pitt, I'm still totally intimidated by the fact that it's not, <laughs> it's got, any, however human he's become, it's still, it's still Brad Pitt. Um, I never believed that thing. You know that thing where people go, and yeah, he still shits like the rest of us. It. It's like, right, but then when he's not shitting, he does that, do you know what I mean? In the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he
2: probably
1: shits cool.
3: <laughs> well,
2: exactly.
1: I mean, <laughs> Smells of roses, I'm told.
3: So Ol thinks our grand romantic gesture should involve Selma Hayek, and it should lead her to becoming more human in Catalina's eyes. That's perfect. That's kind of what we were thinking a few weeks ago when we outlined the plot of the movie. What if they have a really nice time together? Yeah. and Selma. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Catalina and Selma somehow meet and get along great. But back to all. One thing we were wondering was about the anatomy of a grand romantic gesture. Take the scene and say anything where John Cusack is holding the boombox outside Ioni Sky's window. This works because the song he's playing is meaningful to the two of them, but can a grand romantic gesture just be grand and romantic, or does it have to have meaning? Do you have to call back to something within the body of the uh, like film for it to be satisfying, or is there just I feel like there's just some good grand romantic gestures that are just really grand.
1: No, I think I mean grand is good, but so you know, the grand gesture that doesn't earn itself will look empty and futile, as will the ending that doesn't earn itself you know you can't pretend to a happy ending you know you got to earn it and so i would urge you however funny you make it and you guys are really fun so i'm sure it will be you know to you know don't be afraid to have the other stuff in as well just look for that look for moments of genuine truth and you know things that we'll all watch and go you know, right i see i remember that it doesn't have to be agony and painful and obviously not death but short of that you know you're looking for truth whether that be moving or funny but in the end the thing that will make people play the script is a moment where they go, oh fuck, I recognize that thing. And that's why your idea is so good yeah. because everybody's been jealous of an ex this world. And I'm. Um, yeah,
3: and everyone has someone they compare mm. themselves to.
1: Everyone has someone they compare themselves to. Mm.
3: Well, that was a delight. All really made us feel great about our rom com. As for the grand romantic gesture, there's no real secret to unlock. He says we just have to earn it. How do we earn it? Well, I'm not sure, but it feels like we'll know it when we see it. I did some brainstorming some pitches ideas. Is that what we're supposed to do? Yeah. So we got back together for one more writing session to try and figure out the climax of our movie. Okay, can I go first? Because I don't like mine.
2: I'll go second because mine's probably going to be the worst.
3: But before we get to my pitch, there's something you should know. We've changed a bit of the plot and you'll hear the full story in next week's episode. But for now, just know that we've decided Catalina does not work as a script supervisor in movies. She's a gig worker. She has a bunch of jobs. She walks dogs. She makes deliveries. And yes, she occasionally works on a pirate-themed kids' cruise. So, I started my pitch with something we had discussed earlier this season, when we were talking about setting. In screenwriting, there's a tenant where your climax should happen in the worst place in the world for your character. And yes, it's a tenant, not a tenant. Sue me. So I think in this, the scope of this story, the worst place in the world would be a Hollywood A-list party where Catalina is not prepared to be there in some way. Okay. Mm. So I kind of threw around like there's a premiere party for Selma Hayek. We've already know in the movie that Greg was invited because it's going to be in Chicago. Then I thought, I Googled is does Selma Hayek host a lot of parties? Because I, I didn't know that about her, oh, right?
2: nice.
3: And Selma Hayek and Angelina Jolie threw a Halloween party when they were doing that movie they were doing. And then I thought, hey, we always talked about our movie being, the end being in October, because it's the most romantic. Oh, and, yeah. um Because also, I don't think I've seen grand romantic gestures. You usually see them at Christmas, but what if... You really like Halloween, like I do.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So it's Halloween, and Catalina is not going to go, and she's feeling so bad about herself. And then she has some moment while she's at work of realizing that she's wrong, and she needs to make a break for it to run and get Greg and tell him that she they should be together. Blah 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 blah. And guess where she works. What are you- she goes to her, She's like, I got to go to the party, but I don't have a costume. And the girl's like, what are you talking about? You're dressed up like a pirate right now. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then she goes to the party, and everyone at the party is, like, so beautiful. They all look so amazing. They look mm-hmm. so Hollywood glam. And she's essentially in pirate mm-hmm. drag, and she has, like, teeth blacked out. <laughs> and, and then she says... I really like Selma. And then Greg's like, what? She's like, we met and she's cool. And then she can be like, I love you and I, I miss you more than I want to be right.
2: Mm. And those
3: are some elements that I had.
2: That's I good. love it.
3: My pitch involved Catalina meeting Selma Hayek and it makes her realize she can defeat her insecurity.
2: Because even if she's not the pirate and she comes into that, I could like... Watch I the feel shit like out of that scene, this grand
3: her. romantic gesture sort of makes it seem like the whole point is like she wasn't pretty enough. And that's what she thought, you know, mm. like mm-hmm. and that she wasn't mm-hmm. glossy and pretty and rich enough. But I think it's also just like she's not she's not being perfectionist about it. You know what I mean? Like she mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah. She just ran there in her weird outfit. And it's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ryan's pitch also involves Alma Hayek. After Catalina and Greg break up, and Catalina goes through her montage of sadness, she finally meets Selma Hayek. The two of them bond and share an incredible night of partying, and then reach a deep level of understanding.
2: So, what if at the end of that time together, <laughs> um, Catalina gets arrested for something mm. like uh, mischievous, nothing like bad, and then she has to. And like one of the things, if you, uh, my favorite shows of all time was Night Court. So imagine then she's getting arraigned in night court (laughs) and for this but she's like in a great place she's like fucking like you know like coming down off mushrooms kind of Mm -hmm. like ah it was clear and it was fun and yeah i'm gonna rain right now and then greg comes to like drive her home or whatever but her she gets to make a statement in court on the record and then she uses that chance to go on the record that she like fucking loves greg and she, like, wants to get back together. And she, like, sees it now. And she was dumb. And she does this, like, beautiful speech that has nothing to do with her crime. Uh, and her public defender could be, like, a fun little part that's, like, um, tugging her arm or whatever like that. And she kind of, like, goes on the record <laughs> and, like, asks the stenographer to read it back. Oh, that's great. And she's being hauled off to, like, uh, the holding tank or whatever. And to be, like, like that. To be put in for another eight read hours. Read it
3: back! Read it back!
2: <laughs> yeah, and she's just going to the drunk tank or whatever like that.
3: And Selma could call Greg. Yeah. Your girl needs a ride. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. And then Mark's pitch also involves Selma as well as the pirate ship.
0: Okay, so Greg and Selma are on Selma's yacht cruising around the Chicago River. Uh, She's like Someone's just talking to Greg. They're just they're, they're, like Gre- Grace, kind of lamenting about this breakup. You know, she's trying to be a good friend, maybe offering a little advice. But mostly, she's they're just, she's just acting as a sounding board. They're just being friends, sipping on wine. Um, suddenly, <laughs> boom! The entire boat jostles, yes. setting their wine flying. They jump up to see what they've hit. They both run to one side. Nothing, yeah. but behind them, what do we see? The giant yes. pirate ship looming into view, and then a crew of seven and eight year olds, decked out in eye patches and tricorns. <laughs> fire water cannons at the yacht and they throw ropes and ladders over the edge. And before they know it, they've moored themselves to the yacht and they've boarded. And they're like, there's just dozens of kids screaming. And Catalina is barking orders at all of them. And she's like, and and she's, so she like kind of boards ceremoniously from a plank. Selma and Greg are flabbergasted. Then Cat- Catalina orders, orders the kids to detain the prisoners. And so the children like wrap them up in, in, in rope. And like, they're like all, they're kind of going with it. But like what the fuck is going on? Uh, Selma, uh, Catalina's like, sorry about this whole pirate raid thing. I, I tried calling you, but I, I think you may have blocked me or something. I kept getting sent to voicemail. This little
2: pirate raid. And she's like,
0: oh, hi, Selma. And Selma's like, hello, Catalina.
3: Mark also came up with a speech for Catalina to say to Greg.
0: So she pulls out a piece of paper from her leather boot and unfolds it. She's having trouble because she has a hook for a hand. Um, <laughs> and then she reads this speech. Greg, I've never been good at asking for help. I guess it's because I don't want to inconvenience anybody or trouble them with my problems. My therapist says it's because I don't think I'm worth it. By the way, I've started seeing a therapist. It's just an hour a week, and the guy is very affordable. His name is Conrad, which is a name I didn't like, but now it's growing on (laughs) me. Anyway, when we broke up, I thought, this is how it is, and it's never going to change. And I tried to get on with my life, but I can't stop thinking about you, Greg. I had nobody to do the voices of the penguins with or to practice cooking weird recipes on, or to put my legs on when you watch a movie, even though I know it's kind of uncomfortable for you. So I asked Conrad for help getting you back, and he said, maybe I should work on myself a bit and lean on my community for support. And that gave me an idea. So I did something I have a lot of trouble doing. I asked for help. I asked Salty if I could borrow his pirate ship for an hour, and he said yes. Then I asked this group of birthday kids if they'd help me raid a yacht, and they all said yes. Didn't take much convincing. Then I asked your wonderful friend, Selma, to help by bringing you out here on the river to be raided by pirates. She said yes, but of course she said yes because she's just as generous and lovely as you described her And to be. Oh, and I asked Dan the props man for help by making this little flintlock pirate pistol shoot flower petals, and he said yes. Then she (laughs) shoots her gun and like flower petals like cover Greg. I don't know if this is what Conrad meant, but I have to say I'm so grateful that I asked for help. I'm standing here in these leather pants and this hook for a hand, thanks to the help of so many people. Who have filled me with confidence and helped me to understand that i'm worth it they all said yes so now i'm going to ask you something greg will you help me by giving me a chance to show you that i'm trying i want to prove to you that i love me i love you greg that's easy you're so impossibly easy to love now let me show you what i love about me so that maybe one day you can love me again too how's that sound will you help me will you say yes and then greg says yes and then the pirates cheer and they shoot flower petal canyons and Selma cheers and everyone cheers. <gasps> the end. That's amazing.
3: These are all great. We're really happy with the direction we're going. Ola Parker says we need a grand romantic gesture that feels like we've earned it. And there are parts of all of these that feel that way. It's just going to be a matter of pulling out the right details. So that just leaves one thing.
2: Here's a dumb question. At the end of our movie, we want Greg and Catalina to still be together, right?
3: We could figure this out now, but hey, we got to leave something for the finale. It could be funny if the last line is them at a party and someone's like, oh, why'd you guys break up? And then she's like, his ex-girlfriend was Selma Hayek.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> Next time on Let's Make a Rom-Com... You're the studio executive, and we're gonna pitch you our entire movie. Beat by beat, scene by scene. Tears,
2: laughter. I won't be walking alone because you're coming home with me to have sex and then eat pizza pockets. No, I'm not. Are you sure? 50 50, honestly.
3: That's next time on the finale of Let's Make a Rom com. let's make a rom-com is a production of cbc podcasts and kelly and kelly hosted by maddie kelly mark chavez and ryan beal and created by kelly and kelly this episode is written and produced by dave shimka chris kelly and max collins coordinating producer lauren berkovich associate producer rebecca Pang. For CBC, Jeff Turner is our senior producer. Executive producers are Cecil Fernandez and Chris Oak. And RF Nurani is the director of CBC Podcasts. Our theme song is by Chris Kelly and Colin Cowan. Special thanks to Ole Parker.
2: For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.